Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. John chapter 1, we're going to look tonight at uh, uh, a few verses, and then we're going to go all over the place, guys. This is just one of those nights where I'm going to read two verses to you. I'm going to comment a little bit, but then we're going to go all over the place. Now, one of the reasons why I love teaching midweek Bible study is because I really, really uh, want to see Christians grow and grow in their study of the Word and grow to be in love with studying. I, I love studying the Bible. Anybody feel like I feel? Do you, do you feel like I feel? Peter Frampton out there? Any Peter Frampton? Do you feel like anybody know that song? Remember that song? Yeah, there's some old people here like me. Okay, good. The rest of you don't have no clue what we're talking about. But, <laughs> but I, I want people to love the study the Word. The other part of me is this. We live in really a post-Christian uh, America, and there's a lot of biblical illiteracy out there. Is there not? And if I can put my little dent in getting people to know the Word of God, then, you know, I feel like I've accomplished something big. Also, um, one of the things for me is I want Christians, and, I, and I'm hope, I think you're all Christians here, I want you to go further. I want you to go farther in the Word of God. See, Jesus, He never said, I came to give you information. He said, I came to give you life. Did He not? And that life is not just by knowing something. Like I said Sunday, Jesus said in John 13, 17, if you know these things, you're blessed if you, if you do these things. And so that's about taking next steps and next steps and doing what the Word of God says. Now, one of the things we're, we see like in that whole idea of next step, and a week from Sunday I'll talk about that on the 30-year anniversary weekend, Peter, he steps out of the boat. He steps out of the boat. He steps out of the boat. Now, his first step was he stepped into the boat when Jesus commanded him, right? And then he gets out on the water, and Jesus, and then Jesus is walking away. He goes, come, can I walk? He goes, yeah, come on. And he steps out. That's like a second step. And all of our life is always a second step and a next step and a next step. And so tonight, I want to take you into a next step of faith, into something that has been a very, very um, important thing in my life for almost my entire 42 years of faith in this experience. Um, and by the way, when I say experience, um, never ever think that I'm saying that just because I have an experience that it's valid. I have to base all my experience on the Word of God, amen? Amen. I always interpret everything that I do or anything that I hear by the Word of God. Because there, if, you, if you're around Christianity for a while, you will find that Christians can be pretty bizarre at times. Amen? They can get into some of the weirdest things, and I'm thinking, where did they get that at? Where did this come from? And so always, always see if you find it in the Word of God. Otherwise, just reject it. That's just not valid for you. You stick with what it says. But tonight, I want to talk about something, like I said, that's so important to me, and that's the empowering of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the coming upon you of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. All those terms are interchangeable. And I want to talk about that tonight. And like I said, if you are new to the Bible, listen, I'm going to take you all over the place. So tomorrow and the next day, you're going to be spirit, your muscles are going to be spiritually sore, okay? Because I'm going to move you all over the place. So if you don't have your cheat sheet, they were in the lobby there when you came in, and they would help you follow me. But John chapter 1, verse 33 and 34. And by the way, I'm going to try to end early enough tonight 
that after we're done, uh, we can take some questions in case I did not make myself clear. And everything I'm going to say, it's not in full comprehension because for me to really do this subject justice, it would take weeks and weeks to do it. But I'm going to give you enough to be able to hopefully get an understanding. But John chapter 1, verse 33, we talked about last week, but let's read 33 and 34 again. He says, I did not recognize him. This is John, uh, John uh, writing down what John the Baptist said. I did not recognize him, him meaning Jesus, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom the, you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the... Holy Spirit. Now, the term baptized in the Holy Spirit. Verse 34. I myself have seen, say seen, and have testified that this is the Son of God. Now, very quickly, he says, my eyes have seen, right? Now, look back in your Bibles at John chapter 1 and verse 14. Right in the middle there, it says, uh, I should, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and what? And what? And we saw, and we saw. Now notice, he says, we saw. We saw the God-man. Here, he says, we've seen the God-man. Now, always remember that your Christianity is an evidence-based faith. These are eyewitnesses historically of the fact that Jesus did exist, that Jesus was crucified, and that he rose from the dead. Never forget that. I challenge you, every time you read the New Testament, look at every time you see terms like that, we saw, I saw. Those are very important little terms to tell you that they did see the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. Now, John says here in verse 33, I baptize in water, but Jesus will baptize in the Holy Spirit. He is not saying not to be baptized in water. Baptism in water is a really good step in your Christianity because it declares to everyone that you're a Christian and it is a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. But he's simply saying that uh, Jesus' Holy Spirit baptism is not a water baptism. Now, if we were to cross-reference, but I'm not going to go there, I'm just going to tell you this one. In Matthew 3 and verse 11, write down Matthew 3 verse 11 if you're taking notes. That's the same verse that John writes here, and, and he says uh, of Jesus, it just gives you another perspective on it. He says that um, John said, I baptize in water, but one comes after me who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. That's a very important statement, baptize you. Because when John's baptizing, question, have they picked the 12 disciples yet? No. Have they, do they have the, the, the upper room group yet in the book of Acts? Are they, yeah, they're not there. So who is the you when he says he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire? The you then is not singled out to the 12 disciples and is not singled out to those in the upper room. The you is everybody. It's anyone who wants the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what he's saying from the very, very get-go in these things. Now, the big question then is, what is a Holy Spirit baptism? And like I said, let's allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you some, some basis as we go here. Turn to John, and uh, we may come back to John 1 at the end, but don't worry about it right now. Turn to, go to John chapter 20. Now, watch this. I want to build a case for you here. In John chapter 20, this is post-resurrection now. Jesus is resurrected. And look at verses 21 and 22. It says, So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also 
I also send you. So we're sent of God. Watch. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the moment in time when the disciples were born again. The Spirit of God now is in their life. They have placed their faith in Jesus and they have the Holy Spirit. They're born again right there. He breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Okay, let's, let's put it together. I want you to kind of see this right here. This could be called the first experience of the Holy Spirit. I personally call it the second experience of the Holy Spirit. With the baptism in the Holy Spirit being the third experience. Now let me show you what I mean. This is where they're born again. Now very quickly, look back. It's not in your cheat sheet, sorry about that. Look back at John chapter 14. Now watch this. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. This is pre-resurrection. In verse 17 he says, in chapter 14, That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides... He abides with you, and will be in you. Ah, so... Our first, this is the way I look at it. Some people would not call this the first experience, and that's fine. The first experience of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit is chasing after you and people are witnessing to you. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember that when you, people are starting to tell you about Jesus Christ? Now the, and, and they're planting seed in, uh, inside of you, right? So the Holy Spirit's with you. I call him, he's like the hound of heaven. He's not going to let go now because now he's rattling around in you. Now, then the second experience, Jesus breathes on them and they're born again. They have the Spirit of God. Do you remember when you became a Christian? Do you remember that? That was because there was pre-work with the Spirit of God working in your life through other people. Do you follow that? Now, if you take those two experiences, now follow the, 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 the trail now. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, right after John. Acts chapter 1. And this is Jesus now about to... Um, ascend into, into heaven. Now watch what he says right here. Because you have the first experience, you have the second experience, and now you're going to have the third one. I, I like the three, but, let, but if you want to go first experience, salvation, second experience right here, that's fine with me. It doesn't, doesn't matter either way. Now, look at, um, look at, I know it says verse 5 in your notes, but look at verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. So don't go anywhere, guys. Now, he's resurrected now, but he's about to ascend to heaven. But to wait, stay here. Wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John, oh, here he goes back to John the Baptist. For John baptized with water. That's a good deal. That's a good thing. But you will be baptized with the... Now, notice the two different baptisms, correct? Say Amen. Not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, now they got some questions, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? <clears throat> now, they want to know if Israel is going to become this strong nation again. That's not the big deal. The big deal is you guys need to take this word of God to the world. That's the big deal, right? Right? Now, Look at verse 7. 
He said to them, here's the answer. It is not for you to know the times or epochs. Epochs means seasons, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But here it comes. Third experience, here it comes. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Stop. Did they already have the Holy Spirit in John 20? Say yes. They were already born again. Are you following me now? Do you follow that? They're already born again. Now in verse 8, now this cannot be where they're born again, 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 okay? When you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Stop. If you're a fisherman from Galilee and he just told you you're going to be a witness to the furthest ends of the world and you're, and you're coming from this little area of Galilee. Galilee is just a lake, 7 by 14 miles. What are you thinking in your mind? What? I'm just this fisherman from Galilee, but now I'm going to take this thing to the whole wide world? That's an incredible uh, uh, call of life, is it not? And cannot God do great things in your life? If you just submit to it and just say, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Now, he talks here, this is the baptism in the Holy Spirit's Power, my friends. This is this, you know, with, in, now, upon you. This is the, the third experience of the Spirit of God. Many Christians, maybe they were never taught it. Maybe they were taught otherwise. They never, ever walk in the Holy Spirit power. Now, the word power, he says here, you shall receive power. The Greek word is dunamis. What word does that sound like? Dynamite, that's right. But it simply means miracle working power. You shall receive miracle working power when the Spirit of God comes upon your life. Now, specifically in verse 8, look at verse 8. What is the empowering of the Spirit? What's the purpose of it in our lives? It's a key word right there. What is it? You shall be a what? You'll be a witness. Now, let's take that from a two perspective look. The first thing is, to be a greater witness, you have to be able to live, uh, I guess, a holy life, right? you got to be different. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowers me to live a holy life so people can see there's something different about me, correct? But the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't end there. It empowers me to be a witness, to give me the boldness to share my faith in the midst of whatever comes at me. That I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid when people come up to me or combat me on that one or go against me. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to back down to those things. Does that make sense so far? These guys are going to walk into a Roman Empire, a world filled with idols, and they're going to be pushed. There's going to be so much pushback on their life. So they need an empowering of the Spirit of God in their lives. And I love the fact that in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit comes down, the initial time it happens, it comes like a violent rushing wind. Doesn't that metaphor make sense? The wind, violent rushing wind, to blow them out into the world to share the gospel with others. Any amens on that? It just makes perfect sense to me. Now, <clears throat> now watch, he says, he, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. In verse 8 he says, you shall be my witnesses in where? In first where? First where? So you're to be a witness first in your home, right? Around the people around you. Now, watch this. Keep that thought in Jerusalem. I want to put another strong pillar on this. 
look back, turn to your left, to the companion set of the book of Acts, Luke chapter 24. In case you're new to the scriptures, Luke, Dr. Luke, who's a physician, he wrote the gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. He wrote them both. They're companions to each other. That's why the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts are very similar because he wrote them both. Now watch in verse 49 of Luke 24. This is Jesus. You could put this right on page on chapter 1 of Acts at the beginning because he's about to send, ascend to heaven. Verse 49. Jesus speaking. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city, that's Jerusalem, until you are clothed with, with what? With power from on high. There it is again. Question, where does he want them to stay? What city? Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Don't get out there and witness. Until what? Until what? Until the power of the Holy Spirit has been sent and comes upon you. Did you catch that? No, did you really catch that? Now I want you to think about what he just said. Guys, I know he's talking 11, to his 11 disciples, 11 that are left. Guys, I know you've walked with me for three years. You've been in my Bible school for three years. You've watched me do all these things for three years. You've heard every one of my talks, my lectures, and my teaching for three years. You've seen it all, and you've heard it all. But guess what? You're still not ready. I've even breathed the Spirit in you. You're born again, but you're not ready. There's one more thing. If you're going to go out there and face a world that is contrary to what you are going to be sharing, you need something else, and you need the power of the Spirit of God. You need it in your life. So don't go anywhere. Just wait here until it comes. Don't leave Jerusalem. And they did. They just waited. And they waited. And when the Spirit came down, when it happened, boom, that day, how many people get saved when Peter preaches? How many? 3,000. Question? Peter's bold as a lion that day. Remember that? Back up 50 days. Was he as bold as a lion around the campfire when Jesus was arrested? He's scared out of his mind. All the disciples were. But now 50 days later, what changes this guy besides the fact that he sees Jesus resurrected? Now it's the empowering of the Spirit of God. And now he's got tremendous boldness. None of us need to walk around in fear. Once we have the empowering of the Spirit of God, are you kidding me? Now we're emboldened with these things. Now, the question I would ask in my mind, if you hear me talking right now is, well, Jim, okay, then how do I receive it? I have a question for you. How did you receive salvation? You asked for it. You simply put your faith in Jesus and you ask for it. That's the same thing, same way you, you receive the baptism, the Holy Spirit and power. It's the very same thing. There's nothing complicated about these things. Now, that's all I can say on that part. I could go way further on it, but I want to go into something that's very important with that, and that's this. Question. In Scripture, once they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what is the first evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in their lives? What is it? Louder? Speaking in tongues. Now, you say, are you sure, Jim? Let me prove it to you, okay? Turn to Acts. Go to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to prove it to you. You, you. you know, people can argue with me all they want, but argue with the scriptures. Acts chapter 2. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay. 
Are you feeling your spiritual muscles ache right now? Turn those pages. Okay, look at chapter 2, 1 through 4. This is the day it first, boom, it hits. Spirit of God. When the day of Pentecost, Pente 50, Pentecost 50, 50 days after uh, the resurrection, had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus already breathed on these guys. They're already saved. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Stop. Now look at Acts chapter 10. Let's look at some other scriptures on this. Look at verse 44. We'll read 44, 45, 46. Say, say amen if you're there. Amen. Okay, now watch. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. Why? Because they're watching Gentiles now. That the, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Notice the terminology. It's all the same. For they were hearing them speaking with, say it, with tongues. Mm, and exalting God. Then Peter answered. Now, very important statement right there. I'll mention it, then we'll see it again later. Speaking in tongues and exalting God. Tongues is always, in its interpretation, man to God, not God to man. In other words, it's an exaltation of God. There's a worship aspect of the interpretation of tongues, but we're not going to talk about interpretation tonight. We don't have time. Look at Acts chapter 19. So now we see two places, initial evidence, speaking in tongues. Let every fact be confirmed upon the witness of two or three, the scriptures teach us. <clears throat> now look at Acts 19. Now watch this. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Okay, you all there? Okay. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Can you believe that? Man. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. That's John the Baptist's baptism. Telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Now notice a little distinguishing difference there. In the other sections, did anyone lay hands on anyone to receive the baptism and speak in tongues? Say no. But here you see they're laying hands on them to do it. So there's no one set pattern that this happens. You can just put your faith, ask them, and just speak out by faith, or you can have people lay hands on you to receive it also. Now, but in these three texts right there, the question I ask you then is, according to the book of Acts, according to the Bible, what, is, what looks like the initial evidence of the empowering of the Holy Spirit? What is it? What is it? Come on, guys. It's not hard. Speaking in tongues. <clears throat> now, Whenever I lead anyone in this, um, 
And I love doing it. I mean, sometimes people, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes people have a real hard time speaking out their, their, their spiritual language, tongues. Now, there's, there's reasons behind it. Um, sometimes we overthink it. How many of you are overthinkers? Yeah, sometimes it's really hard because you're overthinking stuff. Instead of being childlike faith, just speak it out. Sometimes people think, well, you, well, I don't know what to say. Well, that's called faith. Speak it out by faith. Some people think that God is going to move their mouth and they do nothing but go, okay. No, no, no. You've got to speak it out. There's a part of you that you've got to speak it out. And so I've, I've prayed for many people, receive it quickly. I've prayed for some people, no, no they, they, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I, 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 you know it, it takes them months. So I tell the person who has a hard time, I just simply say, look, it's in your tool bag now. It's in your Holy Spirit power tool bag. And whether you go home and speak it out in the shower or driving down the road, it's in your tool bag. And don't doubt that it's in your tool bag. And now, whenever you start to speak it out, good. And you have control. Have you ever heard somebody say, those of you who grew up in Pentecostal circles like me, I just couldn't stop it. I couldn't control it. Anyone ever heard that before? Okay, that's a lie. The spirit is subject to the prophets. You have the power to speak it and you have the power not to speak it. I can speak it anytime I want to. And I have the power not to speak it anytime I want to. It's just that simple. Now, with that said, um, what tongues is basically, and I've been speaking and praying in tongues for 42 years, and I'm going to get into some benefits right now. Um, what it basically is, is just a language. That's all it is. It's a language that's unknown to the speaker. You don't know what you're saying. Now, very quickly, there's the type of tongue, there's two types. There's a type of tongue that can be understood through interpretation, and there's a type of tongue that you will not understand, your prayer tongue. Can I prove that biblically? Absolutely, I can prove that biblically. In Acts chapter 2, when they spoke in tongues, people from all over the world were there at that time for Pentecost. Did they hear and, and understand those people, what they were saying? Yes, they did. Did the speakers know what they were saying? No, they didn't. But people from all over the world came there, and they knew exactly what they were saying because they were speaking in known languages of the world that they themselves didn't know what it was. But people from that part of the world were there, and it was a great evidence, and they could interpret as these people were, they were saying they're speaking of the glorious things of God is what they were saying. So it could be understood. It was a known language. That does happen in a Christian church believer setting where someone may speak out in a tongue and someone will interpret it from another country. It will be their language. That does happen, guys. Those things will do. Now, is there a tongue that you and I, that I can exercise every day of my life? Yeah, it's a personal prayer tongue. That's the other one where it says in 1 Corinthians 14, we'll read it in a second, it says, he who speaks in a tongue um, uh, speaks unto God, for, for no one understands. See, he doesn't understand it. No one, no one, no one understands it. But in Acts, they understood it. But in 1 Corinthians 14, no one understands it. So there's got to be two types. You follow me? Do you follow me? So I speak... In, in tongues regularly, daily, and I don't know what I'm saying. I'm fine with that. Some people say, well, how, how can you do that? You don't know what you're saying. Because I know the benefits of it. I know what it means. Now, I'm going to give you the benefits of it, but first let me say this. 
if you choose to say, you know, this is, I don't, I don't buy this, and I don't, I don't think it's for now, and this and that, I have no problem with you, none whatsoever. I have Jeopardy recording right now, okay? I'm going to go home with my wife, have dinner. I think we're having chorizo and beans tonight, and I, we're going to watch Jeopardy, and I have no problem with it, okay? You, couldn't, you don't have to. I, you're not my enemy. I'm fine with you. You can still serve in the church. You don't have to leave the church. We're good, okay? As long as you're born again, all right? All right? Is that good? You can follow me so far? Okay, good. So I, I don't have no problem. As long as you're saved, I'm fine, man. Now, so here's the question. Somebody's got to be thinking, what is the benefit of speaking in a tongue that I don't understand, this spiritual heavenly language? Yeah, well, that's a good question, huh? What's the benefit? Well, I, I wrote them down in your notes. I gave you, there's three of them, I think, but there's way more, but I'm going to give you three tonight. Um, first off, I'm speaking directly to God. I'm going to say them, and I'm going to illustrate them. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 14. To your right for Max. Go to your right. 1 Corinthians 14. Now, watch this. This is why I utilize it, because, man, this is a great weapon in the arsenal of my faith. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 2. You there? Okay, good. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Notice it's man to God again. For who understands? Who understands? No one. But in Acts chapter 2, do they understand? Yes, so there's two types. This is your personal prayer tongue. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Mysteries, okay? Okay. When I speak in tongues, I don't know what I'm saying. No one understands it. doesn't bother me one bit. You know why it don't bug me one bit? Because I can look at it from the perspective of spiritual warfare in this, in this way. I never saw the movie, but I read up on it when I heard the concept. Of the, that's interesting because it's historically true. Do you guys ever see Wind Talkers? It's about the Native American in the Navajo in World War II. They, they brought them in because the Japanese could break the codes but they could not break the code of that language. So they brought the Navajo in, and they were the ones communicating, and they couldn't break the code. And because they were able to communicate with each other, and our enemy didn't know what was being said, it enabled us to continue to move forward and win the war in the South Pacific. You follow me? Listen. The enemy couldn't understand it. They could understand each other, but the enemy couldn't understand it. I, I love that, because... When I pray in tongues, the devil has no idea what I'm saying. There's no demon and there's no evil spirit that knows what I'm saying. And I like that a lot. I love that. And so I pray in tongues daily. And you know what? I have no problem that I don't understand it because he don't understand it. Now, that doesn't end there. The second thing I want to tell you in your notes is it's a perfect prayer language. Because it is a spiritual language and God is spirit and is from God, who understands it? God understands. That's right. It's a spiritual language. Very beneficial. Now, this, I learned this years ago. Uh, much of what I've learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, I learned back in the 80s. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of a great man of God by the name of Jack Hayford. Okay. 
I, I learned everything I pretty much know about this from him. Back in the 80s, I'll date myself for you young people, I used to buy all of his cassette series on the Baptist cassette. Some of you are going, cassette? What, what's a cassette? You know, yeah, okay, wise guys. But I bought all of his series on the Baptist Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. I listened to them over and over and over again because I wanted to learn this stuff. And boy, he was such a great balanced teacher. I really appreciate. I think he's still alive. He's, he's old. He stepped out of the senior pastor pulpit a long time ago, but he still speaks and stuff like that. Now, <clears throat> here's what he taught me, that um, it's a perfect prayer language. How many of you, you come to situations in life and you don't know what to pray about? Anybody? Isn't that awful? It's terrible. I hate coming. I don't know what to pray about this. He taught me this. Because tongues is a language from God, and it, therefore, if it's from God, therefore, it's a perfect praying, prayer language, and it's spiritual. Here's what Jack Haver taught me, and I never forgot it. He says, I'll use me now. It's like when I pray, and I petition God on the one thing, and then the second thing, and the third thing, and the fourth thing, and the fifth thing. Say, I, I, I ask God six things. After I'm done, then I start to pray in tongues. When I start to pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit... He now maneuvers in. And he says to the Father, Father, um, Jim really means well. <laughs> and the first thing and that fifth thing and sixth thing he prayed, right on the money. But his prayer on two, three, and four, <laughs> dumb. Just dumb. Not in the will of God. And so when I pray in tongues, the Spirit comes alongside me. And now the Spirit, perfect prayer language, adjusts what I've prayed and adds the right things and edits the wrong things out of my prayer. Does that make sense? Is, does that just beneficial or what? That I can pray in tongues, not know what the, to pray in the situation, but the Spirit of God can come alongside and say, we're going to fix that right now. And you will not know exactly what it is, but we'll fix it. Now, the third thing in your notes is this. It builds us up spiritually. I, I touched on this uh, Sunday morning, but look at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14. It builds us up spiritually. Watch this. He says, one who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Himself. Himself. That's right. But one who prophesies or preaches, in a sense, edifies the, the church. Let's take it from the edify of self first. Now, <clears throat> it builds us up spiritually. How many of you have ever had to drive somewhere by yourself 50-minute drive, and you prayed in tongues the whole way. Anyone ever done that before? How do you feel by the time you get there? Oh, boy, you are pumped up spiritually. I, I cannot explain it, but you are spiritually, you're on it, man. Now, <clears throat> edifies himself. You speak in tongues, you edify yourself. Edify, edifice, a building. It means to build up. So I liken it always to going to the gym. How many of you go to the gym? That's it? Wow. Are there mirrors at the gym? Do people at the gym who lift weights like to look in the mirror? Oh boy, do they, huh? Now, I used to, but I gave up looking in the mirror 20 years ago, okay? Because when you get older, it don't even matter anymore. You do your best, but you know, you can't build muscle like you used to do it. So I quit looking in the mirror. But why do they look in the mirror when they're lifting or after they've lifted? Why do they sit there and flex their try? And, you know, do, you know, why, why do they do that? 
They want to, what? They want to see if they're making progress, correct? They want to see how buff they are from all their weightlifting, right? So I thought about this a long time ago. <clears throat> what if in our lobby we had spiritual mirrors? And when you came into church and walked in and you looked in that spiritual mirror and it would tell you how buff you are spiritually or not. Would that be wild or what? I'd be here screaming out there, you know. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so when we, along with studying the Bible and worshiping and praying and fasting, praying in tongues, these things all build up our spiritual muscles. Does that make sense? And you want to build your spiritual muscles because we talked Sunday about defeating the flesh, the old nature, right? you got to build the spirit part of you up to, so, the, so the flesh part of you doesn't have the strength. Like we said in the beginning, I think, Mike, was it? You said, whatever you feed, whatever you feed is going to win. Sunday I told you, remember the prophecy? The older shall serve the, the younger. My older flesh, my older nature, which is 60-some years old, has to submit and be overcome but by my 42-year-old spirit that I've been born in. It's got my spirit, which is younger, must be stronger than my older flesh. And my older flesh has had 60-some years of practice in sin, like yours, right? Not that you're 60-some, because none of you are that age. But anyway... So, so I've got to edify myself. And like I told you Sunday, I have had a couple people tell me, you shouldn't want to build yourself up. I couldn't believe when I heard it. So my question is, does reading the Bible build me up? Yeah. So should I stop that too? I'm going to build myself up spiritually every way that God gives me. Because I need to overcome my old flesh that wants to do the wrong stuff. I have to do it. Now, let me show you some of the rebuttals that you might run into. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 again. Watch. I read verse 4, but I read verse 4 and 5 now. It says, One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the... So they're going to tell you right now, they're going to say that you've got to choose between one of the two. Is he saying to choose between one of the two? No. Edifies the church. Tongues edify self, individual. Prophecy, preaching, edifies the church. Of course, in a church setting, you want to speak in a clear language that we speak English. Otherwise, nobody gets edified, right? Unless there's a tongue and there's interpretation. But tongues itself, in my personal prayer tongue, I can pray in tongues and I can edify myself. Can I not? So I can utilize, they're both fine. You don't pick one or the other. Otherwise, look at verse 5. Paul says this, if we have to choose and edit tongues out, why does Paul say, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And great is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless he interprets so that the church, notice it's in a church setting may receive edifying. In a church setting, you want interpretation. You want preaching in a language understood. But then look what he says over here in verse 18. Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than, come on, more than you all. 
you all. First he says in verse 5, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Verse 18, I, sp- I thank my God I speak in tongues more than anybody else. If it was wrong, why is he saying these types of things? Now, let me show you a rebuttal that might come your way. And I don't know how they do this, but, but look at 1 Corinthians 12. Back up a couple chapters to your left. 1 Corinthians 12. I got I to move fast now. Look at verse 27. I'm not going to finish the end of it where you have those John verses. I was going to do an intro to next week's, but I'll leave that for next week. Um, <clears throat> it says, verse 27, Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helps, then administrations, various kinds of tongues. It's number eight on the list, right? Okay, hold your thought. And then look over here at verse 31 to finish it off. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. So they're going to take that, some people will, and say, tongues is down on the list. You should desire the greater gift. Jack Hayford saved me once again back in the 80s. He said, the greater gift is the gift that's needed in the moment. Does that make sense? Let me give you a more logical response to that. Look back at verse 28. Read it. Do you find uh, the gift of shepherding there, pastor? Is it stated there at all? I didn't even make the list. So I am the loser gift? Because if you take it by, by rankings, then, then I'm way down on the list. You follow me so far? So it can't possibly mean that. It's just, he's just telling you things, and he says, the greater gift is the gift that's needed at the moment. Does that make sense? Now, let me say once again, in closing, if, if you don't want to receive this, no problem. I'm not a cancel culture person. Just don't cancel me because I believe in the scriptures and these things. But I'm not a cancel culture. When I first got on Facebook, I think it was like 2008, something like that. And one morning I called people forward to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we had probably about 20 people receive it that morning. I got to get back to doing that more. And I remember I put on Facebook, you know, you learn the hard way what you put on Facebook and what you don't because... Facebook people go on the attack, man. Christians are the worst, to be honest with you. They really are. They're just, you know, Christians don't know how angry they are. They don't see it. But I started getting attacked by a person. And I remember they were from Temecula. That's why when I drive to Temecula, I just play in tongues. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but he went on, he started attacking me, and I would explain to him, and he listened to nothing I said, just kept attacking me. I said, look, I've explained it to you. Let me explain it to you again. And I'm t- And people are reading this. You know, you don't realize things when you're first on him. And now people are jumping in trying to defend me, and he's attacking them. And I'm thinking, okay, this is just dumb now. And then he, he really, really said some ugly things to me. And this is a Christian. He said to me, you're no better than a Mormon. Where do you live? No, I'm just joking. 
And I thought, okay, I, I'm going to get out of this. And I typed back, I said, I've answered all your questions biblically. And now you're going to read this and I'm going to end this. I'm going to delete what we're doing and I'm going to edit you for me. And that's what I did. And I finished it. But I just couldn't believe I was being attacked for this by a Christian. And I was laying it all out. If you don't want it, that don't bug me one bit. That's fine. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm going to go watch Jeopardy later. We recorded it. <laughs> I have a good life. But here's the deal. If you want to receive this, if you ever want me to pray for you, whether after this or after a Sunday service or in the log, whatever, you just tell me. You just tell me. I'll pray for you and I'll lead you in the baptism of the Spirit of God and I'll lead you to speaking in tongues and then you walk in the power of the Spirit. You walk in the power of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for tonight and hopefully it made sense. Hopefully we got, uh, though we couldn't get extremely comprehensive in this stuff, uh, hopefully we got a good understanding of it. Because John the Baptist said that Jesus would come and baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. And we saw that's what kicked off the church in the book of Acts to turn this world upside down. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.